Let's ask God for help as we turn to the scripture this morning. Lord, we are thankful that you haven't left us by ourselves in this earth, but you have sent us your Son and then sent us your Holy Spirit and you have spoken to us. Uh, that in that we are not lonely, but we receive your love. And so as we turn to the scripture today, we ask for help. Would you help us to understand what we're reading and what we should do about it? In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so today is our fourth Sunday in a series uh, entitled Faith Works. We are looking at the letter from James, the co-pastor of the Jerusalem church, to the Hebrew believers that were spread around. So we are being invited into a conversation. And we've already done some uh, context work to help, and we're going to need that help today. So um, if today is your first Sunday, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. Um, and this is going to require a little bit of wading in as we're entering into um, a conversation. We have uh, invited the church family to be reading the words of Jesus in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, because the letter from James, thought by thought, is drawn from the words of Jesus that we find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I hope that today, as you came, you are glad that you are not just here, you're not here to hear the opinions of a human, but we're here to connect with God, yeah? All right, I'm glad for that purpose. I've heard enough of my own thoughts, right? So uh, we are today, we're going to uh, tackle chapter 4. So we're in James chapter 4. I'm going to read it from the New Living, and a little bit different than usual, I'm going to pause at a couple points to try to help us focus on um, a simple, one of the simple themes in the chapter. Everybody ready to go? All right. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So we're invited into, this is a part of a conversation that's already been going on, right? This is a letter from a person who knows people. They have personal history. They have context. What's causing these quarrels? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Now there's a warning, especially to people that are starting to learn how to be Jesus followers, that we should be careful what we pray for. Our prayer should really follow the pattern that Jesus gave us. And um, Jesus actually didn't give us a prayer that says, God, make me happy first. I know that might be... A little bit of a bummer. But these are the words that we're trying to go straight from the words of Jesus, yeah? And a part of what Pastor James is saying is that sometimes we don't get what we ask God for because we ask for selfish motives with our pleasure being top priority. His words, not mine. Here we go. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Now, I want to comment on this because... There is some tension here between things that James says and there are other parts of the New Testament with 
other things that God said directly in the Old Testament and the New, and in the New Testament through Jesus about this friendship with the world. In this case, Pastor James is talking about the cultural soup that we swim in, the overall systems, um, and everything from thoughts and emotions. Uh, we could, right now, we could start to unpack um, current lyrics of hip-hop and we could have a lively debate. Right? They didn't mean that. They did mean that. Is this a healthy lyric? Uh, should I refer to people of the opposite sex with that vocabulary? I mean, like, we could have a debate, right? So a part of what he's talking about is the culture that we swim in that is not healthy, that is opposed to the God who is the source of love, hope, peace, and joy. Okay? Now, in other places, we, Jesus says things like, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? And Jesus says, love your enemies. So clearly, what Pastor James is not saying is to contradict what God and Jesus have clearly already said. We should be the most inclusive, the most loving of other people kind of people. Everybody with me? Okay. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say the spirit of God is placed within us is filled with envy? But, watch this turn now, he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Really simple phrase there, instruction from Pastor James to believers, and I would encourage you, you are a believer who is able to resist your enemy, and he will flee. Now certainly, call me, call your small group leader, call Pastor Rebecca, call one of us, and get us involved, but Pastor James tells us, hey, if you are a Jesus follower, a Jesus believer, you have spiritual authority over the dark spirits of this world. Thank you. That was a good place to say amen. Some of you will catch up to that later. Just in case you were wondering, I know we have a lot of first-time guests here today. We are that kind of church. You can talk to me. All right. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Earlier in this letter, he talked about wholehearted devotion and how we can be unstable people if we don't have a wholehearted devotion to God. Thank you. Verse 9, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. James is talking along the lines that Jesus did about repentance. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other. Back to talking about our words, which we talked about last week and the week before. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. Now, Again, a part of what James has been talking about is this difference between a self-centered life, my opinion is the most 
authoritative. My opinion is the most important. My opinion is the most authoritative. That is in complete contrast to what Jesus calls us to, which is a life that says God's opinion is highest, is most valuable, is most powerful, is most authoritative. It's God's opinion first. Right, right? Okay, that's what he's talking about. God alone who gave the law is the judge, right? You get, maybe some of you have that tattoo, like no man can judge me, no, right? God alone is the one with ultimate authority and power. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Echoes of Jesus. Verse 13, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town. We will stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit, unquote. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, quote, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or do that, unquote. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. So, today, that was a lot. And what we are going to try to do now is focus on a simple, central theme of chapter 4. Somebody say, thank you. you. So, faith seen in purity. I forgot, I was supposed to read the first six chapters, first six verses of chapter 5. Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like a fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Pastor James is saying people who are rich by way of oppressing and abusing others are wrong and God will make the wrongs right. Amen? Okay, so purity seen in wholehearted devotion and humility if we were to, and we could take four hours, we won't today obviously, we, uh, we could take four hours to unpack verse by verse everything that's going on here in chapter 4. If we did, and we simplified it to fit into the context of the whole letter, the central themes that we'd have in this passage, chapter 4, in the first six verses of chapter 5, would be purity seen in wholehearted devotion and humility. Now, remember... This letter is talking about the direct connection between your faith in Jesus as Savior and your resulting actions. Your resulting actions don't earn you favor with God. They don't earn righteousness. It is your faith in God that you receive what God has already given to you. Are you with me? Right? That's how that works. We are using the illustration of a pine cone as something that naturally pops out of a healthy tree, right? So that's what James is talking about. The pine cones of good works that come out of your life that should be a direct connection from your faith in Jesus as Savior. That's what we're talking about. So first, purity. 
Well, what does that mean? Well, you see on the screen a little bit of a definition that we might see from this passage. Freedom from contamination, lack of pollution, clean, clear, fresh. How many of you have ever felt the opposite of that? Don't raise your hands. But you would like to feel that way, yeah? What we're being told is that this is possible through Jesus. The central theme of the letter, maybe the most important part is, hey, look what God has already done for you through Jesus. It is possible, right? To be clean, to experience spiritual purity. James in an earlier passage said, if you break one of God's commands, you are guilty of them all. Jesus talked about, you've heard it said, don't do this. And I'm saying, if you have this in your heart, you're already guilty. If I had a cold glass of water here, which there are many waiting for you with brunch after service. And I dropped one grain of sand into the cup of water. Is it pure? No, it's sandy water. Because if you get that one piece of sand on your mouth, it's not clean water, right? So, true purity is available to us through Jesus. Now, we come to the central theme, the most important, I'm going to say, theme of this chapter. God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. Well, Pastor James, where did you come up with that? Well, remember, Pastor James is co-pastoring the Jerusalem church with Pastor Peter, right? And Peter and James were ones who, of the twelve, who saw Jesus with their eyes, heard Jesus with their ears. They heard his tone of voice, so they saw his nonverbal communication, they heard, they saw. That's why we see this exact same phrase is repeated in Peter's letters. So James chapter 4 verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5, and they're pulling it from where? From Solomon, who inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 3, 34, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. The opposition word actually includes limits their ability as much as it does what we think about opposition. But the theme I want to get to is God favors the humble. Well, it's common in our current situation to not understand this word humility. And I want to, in a quick minute, summarize for you What I believe a good Bible idea, in other words, God idea for what humility means. Humility is when you have, you're comfortable in your own skin because you have a clear picture of who God is and a clear picture of who you are. When I believe the truth, which is God is the creator of all that we have seen, God did so much for us in sending His Son and making a way for salvation. Then I see myself as created in the image of God, with God-given design, with God-given potential, regardless of how I view myself, regardless of how other people view me, regardless of my own weaknesses or limitations that I've come up against, even though this physical body might get tired, might have pain, might have disease, even though I might have bad habits, a sinful nature still waging on the inside of me, I am created in the image of God, and it is God who has made a way of salvation. That's humility. And what humility should bring us to is a transformative sense of peace. I'm good. Call me what you want. 
Throw at me what you want. I'm good. It's not a self-reliant, I'm good. Yeah, my mama said I look good. Right? My wife said I look good. My, my daughter said I look good. I'm good. No. It's not a carnal I'm good. It is a, I am grounded in the truth of who God is. I believe that God is who he said he is. And I also believe that I am who God said I am. I'm grounded. And Jesus described us building our lives like building on a solid rock foundation that will not be shaken in the storms. And the scripture describes us as trees with roots going down into God's love that we bear fruit even in the bad seasons. That's humility. Now, a mid-Atlantic pastor for whom I have tremendous respect is C.J. Mahaney wrote a great little book called Humility. I'm going to pull just a little bit from him today. You see on the screen, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Isaiah 66, verse 2. God addressing the Israelites who were not showing humility in their relationship with him. God said this, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. Think about this, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Every time you see a public figure fall, there was pride. Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Whoever wants to be first, these are the words of Jesus. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Jesus led us in servant leadership with a humble heart. John wrote this, we have Peter, James, and John this morning, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. We should have humble servant hearts. Jesus called himself the Son of Man a number of times. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, we hear the words of Jesus say this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus called them to follow him in that humble service of others. He did not say, yo, I'm the standard you can't follow. He invites us to follow him. Here's what I have found. The people that I know in life that have this kind of life-changing peace in good times and in bad, a great sense of humor with the fantastic belly laugh, are people who never get too far from the cross. If I'm following the instruction of Jesus and daily saying, Daddy God, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. I'm brought daily back to that place of you have forgiven me. That's what humility looks like. And it's transformative. It should not ever cause us to be religious people that are better than someone else. It should never lead us to a place of feeling and valuing ourselves more than anyone else. Now, it doesn't bring us also to a place of unhealthy codependency where we kill ourselves. That's also wrong. But we should come to a place of peace, 
of joy in our humility. I know what my limitations and my weaknesses are, and I know how strong my God is, and so I live a confident, faith-filled, humble life. That's what it looks like. Don't worry, I'm bringing this down for a landing. What do we learn about God from this chapter? Now, I know you, may, maybe you're reading along with us. You've gotten the emails from me with notes and whatnot. Maybe you're not. So I, this is kind of like the cheat code, right? Up, down, right, left, square, circle, right? Just give you the cheat code in, in, in much reflection over James chapter 4. What do we learn about God? Well, it's undeniable that God gives grace to the humble. I want to talk about that for a second. That word grace, what it literally means is a power you did not have before. And what it literally means that in the context of this chapter, talking about the bad stuff inside of us, is the ability to change. We actually just talked about this at Celebrate Recovery on Wednesday night. God gives the ability to change to the humble. That's what is being said. How many of you ever noticed something about yourself that should change? Right? If we see something in ourselves that should change, right? I'm talking about healthy. I'm not talking about weirdness. I mean, I'd like to be a few inches taller. Doctor told me I would be taller. Bone specialist who was measuring my growth plates when I was in metal in middle school told me I would be taller. I'm not talking about changing those kind of things, maybe for selfish reasons. I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit, not your neighbor, not your friend, when the Holy Spirit has pointed out in you something in your character that you know needs to change. And you know it's the Holy Spirit because usually it's gentle and usually it's one thing at a time. That was so good. It is God who gives us the ability to change, and it is God who gives us a power we did not have before. We talked about that earlier with Pentecost Sunday. Who does God give this grace to? The humble. So if I'm allowing pride to be my driving force, to be the thing that people expect when I walk in the door, God is not giving grace to me. It's not the same. It's not the same. Number two, God responds to our wholehearted devotion. James echoing the words of Jesus, we are called to a wholehearted devotion. When we are holding on to other stuff, when we are valuing it more than the things of God, there is something out of order and we won't be as stable. We won't be at peace. Are you with me? Number three, God alone has ultimate power and right to judge. Now, I believe that you can find a few mature Christian people in your life to speak into your life, but let's be sure we don't confuse them with God. And our president or any... Who alone has the highest power? The one true living God, the God above all gods. God alone is the ultimate power and the right to judge. Number four, God is in control. Like it or not, believe it or not, that's the truth. You will have more peace in this life when you start to get connected with that truth. Okay, 
how should we respond? Well, one, we should realize that there is a God and you are not that person. I don't know, maybe you've had a a spat with somebody in your life and you've said that to them. Listen, there is a God and you are not him. Sometimes you need to be looking at the man in the mirror, right? We got to realize that we are not God. And what can happen is we can live in the same kind of idolatry that people have for thousands of years, which is to make the desires of our heart the functional God. See, we can have an aspirational value to believe that God is most powerful, but our actual values are shown in how we spend our time, energy, and money. And are we directing how we spend our time, energy, and money based on the values of God? What did Jesus say, Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and all this will be added unto you. Right? So, Realize that there is a God, you are not God. Number two, receive the grace of God found in Jesus. We can't take this letter or any of the words of this letter out of context, which I've heard people do countless times, and that context is Jesus is Lord. Respond to him. He said over and over and over, repent or you will perish. Confess your sins. Receive his grace. Love God with all that you've got. Get engaged in that personal relationship with God. All the rest of this, if you are taking it out of the context of that, won't work. It won't work. And you'll be just like James said, asking God for stuff and frustrated it doesn't happen. Anyone been there? I have. (laughs) Whoa, I was asking the wrong, right? Number three, love God with wholehearted devotion. Again, just repeated, that's how we should respond. Number four, share the love of God with others. This thing is not complete. It is not complete until you share the love of God with other people. My parents, who are both published authors, teachers, uh, in a Bible college, or just in Israel this past week, you got to see the River Jordan. And what you see over there in the River Jordan that you read in the Bible stories, guess what? It's a real place that actually exists. You can go see where Jesus was crucified down at the foot of that hill. There's dumpsters and a bus station. You can go see where Jesus was buried. What you'll see over there is the Sea of Galilee. And out of the Sea of Galilee runs the River Jordan, runs south into what's called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea. Some of my friends just went and jumped in last week. The salt content is so high, nothing can live in there. And you actually float. You don't have to do anything. You just kind of float. The salt content is so high. Why is the Sea of Galilee teeming with life and the Dead Sea dead? The Sea of Galilee takes in through mountain streams and gives out through the River Jordan. The Dead Sea takes in that water and has no outlets. You will be a spiritually unhealthy person if all you do is take in and you don't give out. And a lot of times what can happen is, I don't like this church, I don't like this thing, I don't like that person, I don't like it. And we get, and all our frustration gets focused outward, and it's all blame shifting, and it's all false, and it's all bogus. Because what we have not yet adjusted, dealt with, is that underneath there's a bedrock of frustration and pain and anguish that's going on. Because what we do is we take in the love of God, or we listen to other people's benefits from having related with God, but we don't actually engage with God ourselves, take in from God, and we also don't give out. Jesus is so clear, his followers are so clear. The only way this works is if you take in and you give out. 
And guess what? We talked about Pentecost Sunday today. The prayer of the followers of Jesus when they called for the Holy Spirit over and over and over and the miracles happened in the book of Acts. What was it? They say, God, give us boldness to tell other people about Jesus. That was when the Holy Spirit showed up. Not when they were just worshiping so they could have some good vibes. There's a purpose in this relationship with God. And the purpose should include that we share this love of God with others. Okay, that was kind of intense. So let's just get practical. Let's get practical. And today, usually I just give you my own practical steps, but I'm actually going to take just a few of the practical steps from Pastor C.J. Mahaney's book on humility. Number one, reflect on the wonder of the cross. If you don't have questions about the cross of Jesus, you're not thinking about it hard enough. If there isn't still some wonder, if there isn't still some wow, then that's probably the primary reason life has gotten dry and crusty. And you're frustrated. Come back to the cross of Jesus. Paul wrote, we've determined nothing to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When I reflect on the cross, I see how much God has done Not to judge me for my wrong, but to make a way that I can be forgiven and be given new life. It is a miracle. Reflect on the wonder of the cross. Number two, and these are how can we do the things that I just said we should respond with. Number two, begin your day acknowledging your need for God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm old enough that I wake up in pain every morning. So that's a great reminder. God, I need your help. Right? So just start your day. Just be honest. Ask, uh, declare your need for God. Number three, begin your day expressing gratitude to God. We see gratitude in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us. Thank God. Before I pray, give us today our daily bread, I actually say thank you, God, for what you did provide. I've got four walls and a roof around me. I've got some clothes on. I, I had some food within the last 24 hours, right? I mean, thank God. Find something and thank God. Begin your day expressing gratitude to God. Number four, cast your cares on God. What is the concern that's on your heart? Jesus gave us that power tool in the Lord's Prayer with a reason. It does include cast your cares on God. Number five, study the attributes of God found in His grace and the doctrine of sin. And I'm more than happy to send any of you the link Bible college courses on the doctrine of atonement, the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of sin. Less than 40 bucks. You can spend some time through a web portal, reading scripture, understanding, getting a deeper knowledge. And what we're trying to do with reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over this month and the letter of James is go deeper in our understanding of God's grace for us and what our sin means. If you're, if you're getting tired of this Christianity thing, it's time to put a shovel in the dirt. There's no example in Scripture of passive learners. No example that turned out good. Number six, speak truth to yourself. I had a quote uh, that I found this week that I thought was awesome from a book called um, Spiritual Depression. That's a weird title. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who did fantastic ministry in an urban setting to the poor, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? 
See, my feelings, my thoughts, my, like, I can listen to my own, I said to myself, self, right? If I'm spending more time listening to myself instead of talking to myself in his context, he's talking about the spiritual truth of God, which is good. Hey, God saved me because he loved me. Have you told yourself that today? You should. A smile will reach your face. God saved you because he loved you. Speak to yourself the truth. Number seven, laugh often. I know how if we have religious people or we have Jesus people, the Jesus people laugh often. Religious people don't. There's this book called Surprised by Laughter, The Comic World of C.S. Lewis, written by Terry Linval. He says this, Laughter is a divine gift to the human who is humble. A proud man cannot laugh because he must watch his dignity. He cannot give himself over to the rocking and rolling of his belly. But a poor and happy man laughs heartily because he gives no serious attention to his ego. I like... Mark Twain's one-liner from Puddinghead Wilson's New Calendar, man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. He also wrote in The Mysterious Stranger, against the assault of laughter, nothing can stand. Listen, find something healthy to laugh about. It will help. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you that you have spoken to us. We thank you for your great grace, for your mercy in our lives. We thank you for this inspired letter from James. We ask for your grace, your help, your mercy as we seek to apply it. And uh, we ask for your blessing on the food that we are about to eat and on this week. In Jesus' name, amen.